Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 15. Well, we've done it. We've made it through a week. I hope you've enjoyed the journey. We've been going through the life of Jacob. Let's uh, have a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your mercy and love to us. We thank you for waking us refreshed to a brand new day. And we pray now as we open your word, you will guide us by your Holy Spirit to help us to understand the lessons you have stored in here for us this day. We pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I've said, we've been good looking at the life of Jacob. If you've just joined us in our last episode, we considered the lack of faith Jacob and Rebecca showed in using deception to obtain the birthright blessings, which Jacob so much longed for. They could not see that the promised blessings would have come to Jacob in God's own time and way. Even if Esau, his brother, obtained the blessings and privileges due to the firstborn, God would still have blessed Jacob if his cause had been godly. If he would love and trust the Lord in all his ways, there would be no need for deception ever. He needed to possess his soul in patience. And just in case we lose our patience in waiting for Jesus to come, in this episode, I want to consider an appeal God makes to us in Hebrews chapter 12, to pursue holiness rather than live a life like Esau's. Why should we? Because, he says, if we don't have holiness, we won't see Jesus. Let's read it. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 to 17. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, which is food, sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And you'll remember that from our last last episode. Esau is described here as a profane person. What is that? Well, the Greek word for profane here is babilos. Literally, it means accessible. The idea is of a threshold through which you could freely pass. Hence the meaning accessible. It then came to mean what many um, what what may be used freely, and by implication, it means someone who is loose in their morals, hence a profane person. A person is profane when they treat sacred things with abuse and irreverence. They show contempt for religion, as Esau did. Such a person is far from God in their immorality and irreligion. Esau typifies such people. He despised sacred things because they cut against his freedom to live as he pleased, with no restraint on his appetites. We looked at that in episode 8 and 9 where he sold his birthright to satisfy his appetite, a bowl of lentils he uh, obtained for the tremendous birthright blessings he forfeited in that transaction. In contrast to the profane person, the scriptures call the Christian to a life of holiness. Why? So we may see the Lord. Don't you want to see Jesus? I know I do. 
That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-15, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's the King James uh, uh, word there, conversation meaning um, conduct or behavior. Be ye holy. What does it mean to be holy? What does it involve? Well, from the dictionary, holy means belonging to or devoted to God. Morally perfect, divine, sacred, pious, religious. And devote means to give oneself holy to. In light of this, I found a really good explanation of what holiness is. It's in Ellen White's book, Acts of the Apostles. She writes this, Holiness is not rapture. That means it's not like a, an, an ecstasy of feeling. It's an entire surrender of the will to God. It is living, note this, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus told us. It is doing the will of our Heavenly Father. It is trusting God in trial, in darkness as well as in the light. It is walking by faith and not by sight. It is relying on God with unquestioning confidence and resting in His love. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Jacob had yet to experience. Walking by faith, not by sight. That's the faith of Abraham. And that's the faith that you and I must have to be counted as children of Abraham. That's what believers are according to Galatians 3. In Galatians 3 verse 7, Paul writes there, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham? If we're children of Abraham, then we are joint heirs with Christ in all the birthright blessings. Forgiveness of our sins and righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And with it, the promise of eternal life in this earth made new. That's what Peter assured us of in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. He said here, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, that's godliness. But to live there, we need to live godly lives here. This is what the grace of God teaches us. In Titus chapter 2, 12-14, Paul writes this. He says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. That means today, here and now, God wants you and me to live a godly life in preparation for the life to come. And so we don't lose our perspective. He tells us in verse 13 and 14 that we should do this while, as it says here, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So are you looking for Jesus Christ to come again? Is this your hope? It's my hope. For when Jesus comes, he'll bring to an end this old world of evil, suffering and sorrow and take us home to heaven.
But note now the reason why he died. In verse 14 it says, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us. That means buy us back from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what Christians are. They're people who have been bought back from practicing evil and are purified to live a holy, godly life. One where they are zealous in doing good works. Instead of pursuing a life of pleasure like Esau, they're pursuing a life pleasing to God. That's why Christians act differently. They are not living for this world. They're living for the next. But it's funny that in living for the next, we actually become salt and light in this world. Now salt was a preservative in Jesus' time. And salt in our world today preserves it from corruption. And light dispels darkness. Jesus says to us as believers, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Too many Christians, you see, allow themselves to become salt without savour. Salt As I said, it's a preservative. It saves from food going bad. And God wants us to be that kind of influence in this world. But too many of us, instead of living for the next world, we live for this world. We live selfish lives in the pursuit of pleasure and money making. And in doing so, sell our birthright like Esau. But be like Jesus. He goes on to say, Ye are the light of the world. And I'm reading here from verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's Matthew 5 and verses 14 to 16. Jesus, you see, wants us to be lights in this world. He wants us to shine the light of the knowledge of God, as seen in the face of Jesus himself. We have enough Esau's in this world. The world needs true believers who pursue holiness, keeping God's commandments and letting their light shine in good works. So how can we live this kind of life? How can we be holy, as Peter said? Well, Peter explains how in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We read it earlier. He said there, Gird up the loins of your mind. To gird means to put a belt around something. And loins physically are the soft fleshly parts of the waist, above the hips and on either side of the spine. Peter uses loins as a metaphor for the soft fleshly parts of the mind. The weak spots in our hearts, those appetites and passions we find so hard to control. Gird them up, he says. Put a belt around them. But how do we put a belt around these parts of our mind? Well, if I can take Peter's metaphor and apply it to Paul's words in Ephesians 6.14, I think we'll have an answer. Let's have a read here. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about, note this, with truth. Gird up the loins of your mind with truth, the truth of Jesus. Jesus said the same thing when he prayed for us in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them, which means make them holy, through thy truth. 
Thy word is truth. He's talking to God, the Father. He says, Thy word is truth. So fill your minds with the words of truth, the Bible. But not just that. To be holy, we need a practical knowledge of the truth. The truths of God's word need to be lived out in our lives. This is how it was with Jesus. In a prophecy about him, Isaiah declared in Isaiah 11 verse 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Righteousness, which is godly living, doing the right thing, is truth in action. Alan White explains how we can get this kind of righteousness. In her beautiful book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, on page 18 she writes this, Righteousness is holiness, likeness to God, and God is love. That's 1 John 4.16. It is conformity to the law of God, for, quote, All thy commandments are righteousness, from Psalms 119, verse 172. And another quote, Love is the fulfilling of the law. That's Romans 13, verse 10. And she says here, Righteousness is love, and love is the light and the life of God. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. We receive righteousness by receiving Him. Isn't that beautiful? We receive righteousness, which is that principle of godly living in our lives by receiving Jesus. His love comes into our life and dispels the spirit of selfishness. This is how we are enabled to live a life of light and blessing to the world around us. Alan White goes on to explain, I'm reading from the same page, and note, this is a commentary on Jesus' blessing when he said, The blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. She writes this, Not by painful struggles or wearisome toil, not by gift or sacrifice is righteousness obtained, but it is freely given to every soul who hungers and thirsts to receive it. And she quotes here Isaiah 55 verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, without money and without price. And another quote from Isaiah 54:17, Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And another quote in Jeremiah 23 verse 6, This is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. You see, you and I, have not lived a godly life. We have no righteousness of our own. But when we surrender to Jesus, he takes away our burden of guilt from our ungodly living and forgives us for it all. At the same time, he takes away our sin-polluted heart and fills it with the spirit of his love and life. That's how he enables us to live a godly life. And the promise is, if we do, then we shall see the Lord. Jesus said the same thing in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So may God help us to do this today. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this meditation. We thank you for this encouragement to pursue a life of holiness so that we can live to see you and to see Jesus and to be there in heaven and live that life of blessing and love to the world around us that we can be that savor 
of life unto life. So I pray this, Lord, in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. And wherever you are today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, remember, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. Until next time, this is Paul Chapman for the 7am Bible. I look forward to you joining me for our next episode.